And now, coming to you from our studios high in the Northeast Georgia mountains, it's the Dangerous Skills Podcast, featuring compelling guests and conversation centered on faith, freedom, social evolution, and personal security. Be sure to listen closely, because if you miss out on the danger, you'll never learn the skills. And now, the most dangerous host in the digital space, Charles Powell. Yes, Judy, you're absolutely right. I am the most dangerous host in all the digital spaces, Charles Powell, host of the Dangerous Skills Podcast. Our guest today, again, a friend, an occasional guest, Jody Powells, and we're going to be talking about his trip to the battlefront in the war in Ukraine, and we'll be doing that right after these commercial messages. Take us out, Judy. And now, a word from our sponsors. Ten years ago, Tracy and John McClain began selling handmade baked goods and signature peach pepper jam across Northeast Georgia at farmers markets and festivals with one simple goal, to love on people with food. Well, that was a decade ago. And today, Bebop's Bakery and Bistro, located on Church Street in Royston, Georgia, has become a destination spot for vacationers traveling through the Peach State and locals alike. On the bakery side, they offer a wide variety of traditional and signature pastries, muffins, cupcakes, cookies, and oh. The last time I encountered red velvet carrot and cheesecake this good, it came from one of my favorite bakeries in Brooklyn Heights, New York. And yes, they do take special orders. Over on the bistro side, Tracy and John have created breakfast, lunch, and dinner menus to satisfy big city and small town palates alike. But on certain nights when the moon is just right, they will roll out a special bill of fare at dinner, which brings their faithful customers in from miles around. And do you want to know the reason why? Because 10 years later, the McLeans are still loving on people with food. Welcome back to the Dangerous Skills Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Powell. Well, it's good to have you back on the program, Jody Powells. You know, for those of us uh, who know you, it's one thing, but for those who don't, uh, we're going to have to put you through that terribly embarrassing part where, like, we get you to give us a brief background. Who is Jody Powells? What are, what are the kind of things you've done that, you know, kind of bring that word dangerous into focus? Uh, former law enforcement officer, uh, state of North Carolina. I've had martial arts schools. I've been in martial arts since I was seven years old, so I, I've owned a number of martial arts schools. I uh, also have done uh, personal protection work nationally and internationally, rescued child slaves, sex trafficked females, both nationally and internationally. Um, those are the main things. Firearms instructor, so. Well, I think that qualifies, you know, that should qualify. Um, well, I wanna talk today a little bit about your trip uh, last fall. Uh, to the battlefront in Ukraine. And I say it that way because there are a number of people who do wind up in Ukraine, but they're not necessarily on the battlefront. As a matter of fact, some people talk about going to Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, and never make it anywhere near a very different situation uh, for you. How did you wind up on not one, not two, but three different battlefronts in Ukraine? I would say it's a lack of updating my GPS. Okay. Uh, no, uh, so what happened is I got a phone call and there was a particular uh, leader of a humanitarian aid group who's, he had been going to Ukraine for years, but he wanted to go back to help and assist some of the folks who were in some of the battle-torn areas. And his wife made the uh, 
uh, made the, the, the bold statement of you're not allowed to go unless you have personal protection. And um, I got roped into that position. You got roped into that position. I got roped into that position. I've heard you say that before. You get roped into an awful lot where like things are happening and stuff's flying around at high velocity. It happens. It does. It does happen. Okay, so you uh, make the trip. You're there. Um, you spent between two and three weeks there. Right. What struck you as the most interesting or what was most surprising to you about what you found there? Um, the most surprising thing probably was and, and we've talked about this, just the, the surrealness of how it's everyday life in the midst of war. Um, you hear the air raid signals uh, going off. And you get, of course, when you get there, I had a, a phone for Ukraine. And you get these updates on your phone all times of the day. And they'll go off and um, it'll show you what regions are, you know, potentially in the blast zones and um, in the lines of missiles and mortars and stuff that are, you know, coming. And even further into the... Uh, to the west and, and north where you wouldn't think it would happen, it's still, you know, they're under, you know, the risk of potential attack. Well, and, uh, but seeing the everyday life, going to a coffee shop and sitting, enjoying coffee, going to a dinner and enjoying dinner, and then you hear these go off and, you know, there was one place they, just, they would make you leave, you know, you had to, we were in a hotel eating and they'd make you leave the hotel um, once these sirens went off. Uh, but But to see the everyday life in the midst of this chaos. You'll be riding down the road in beautiful buildings, people walking around, going to work, going to school, having dinner, and here's a building that was struck by around, you know, artillery shells two days before, you know. And, you know, you think about the normal everyday life. What was, what was it like? I mean, obviously you saw women, you saw children. We don't, you know, sometimes, I mean, I know war is a whole lot about what happens to civilians, but I mean, there were women, there were children uh, in these cities. Uh, what, what did you see in them when the sirens went off? Um, so it, you, like I said, it was, it was so weird. It was life as usual. A place I stayed, I had an apartment there. The place I stayed had a big soccer field right next to it. And there are people out there running, playing soccer, kids in the field, you know, it's like normal, Thursday, you know, it's it's a normal Saturday afternoon, and then when these things go off, some people just ignore them. They've become so uh, immune to the sound of them, and they're you know it's like whatever, and they just keep going about their business. Mm -hmm. You know, others respond. Um, you see people with, you know, the the appropriate headgear and the appropriate body armor and such, but uh, for the most part, a lot of your everyday civilians are just walking around as though it's, you know, every day. Now, as you get further to the east and the south, you know, in the Donetsk regions and, and you know, Kharkiv and, you know, all these areas that are closer to these, to the, the Russian lines and, uh, and, and further south, then you see the response a little bit different. You don't see quite as much traffic uh, in the streets and you see much more devastation in the buildings. Um, and then when you, some of the, some of the towns were completely um, obliterated um, and some of them were basically evacuated for the most part. There still was a remnant of people. For example, one night we were in a, um, an apartment building, and I would say, I mean, this huge apartment building, no telling how many apartments were there, 95% of the people were gone, but there was a handful of folks mm -hmm. still there. And it was, it was one, one family that put us up for the night. It was an old couple that just said, we're not leaving. 
you know, if this is where we'll, we'll live or this is where we'll die and, you know, we're not leaving. We're too old to run like this. And so you see stuff like that. Wow. Well, that, that's, that is actually a great point for me to ask my next question. What would you say touched your heart the most? I mean, I, you sent me pictures. I saw video. I was on the phone. We did video calls uh, while you were there. I saw a lot of things that touched my heart, but I wasn't there. Um, I saw a lot of pictures, a lot of uh, interaction with older people. Uh, it, that really spoke to me a lot. Uh, talk to me about all the various things that touched your heart the most. So probably the, the main thing, the overall thing that really touched my heart the most was the level of patriotism that the Ukrainian folks have. Because um, I look at how well we have it here in the U.S. You know, I still believe we're the greatest nation on earth. I agree. You know, we still have freedoms, and I still have a hope for our country. Um, but we, we come here and we look, and people are ripping down statues, and we're fighting over silly things here, and there's such a division in our country, and then over there, there's such a level of patriotism, and the statues that were even put up during you know, Soviet occupation, they had sandbags around them to protect these statues, like this is our history. These are, this, this is part of who we are, this is our culture. And I looked at that and I took pictures of these statues that are being sandbagged up, and I'm thinking about you know, at home, where I live in Virginia, you know, Monument Avenue in Richmond, they're ripping down the monuments, you know, and to see the contrast of that. But other things that really touched my heart, um, I remember one area we were going in as we were coming into Kiev, right on the outside, uh, there was just a town where people, they just randomly, the Russians came through and tanks rolled through and just started blowing up houses and just started with tanks, just started shooting randomly. And it was, a, and I think I probably sent you pictures of this, it was a, a playground. And they were just shooting around, and you could see the bullet holes going through all the playground. And go, what's the purpose of shooting up? You know, they say they're looking for terror. You know, That's yeah, what it bio, is. You know, biohazardous weapons and all this stuff, and and yet you're shooting a playground. Up. Must have. They also say they're looking for Nazis too. It must have been a Nazi playground. Uh, apparently, there's a Nazi playground. Uh -huh. But um, things like that. And then I, I had the pleasure. I mean, the not the honor of being able to go into one home, and I had. Um, the guy didn't speak English, so there had to be a translator, but he was 90, I think he was 92 or 93 years old. That was his birthday that day. And he, uh, all he wanted for his birthday was he wanted brandy. And uh, so we bought him a little bottle of brandy. I mean, he's 93 years old. What yeah. are you going to say to him? What are you going to say? And um, so he, It was medicinal. <laughs> exactly. He was one of, um, he actually fought for Stalin. Well. So he was a commander in Stalin's mm -hmm. army. And to, to sit and just spend time with him, we had dinner with him, and watch him and hear him tell stories and see his tear, eyes tear up. His very life is history. Oh, absolutely. We, I mean, we talk about history like we have some kind of, uh, uh, we, like we can appropriate and understand and touch it, but this man embodied history. For, for a moment, I was... I was back, my grandfather died. My grandfather was my hero. It's like in my life, there was, there's Jesus and there was my grandpa. Yes. And, and my grandpa was a master sergeant in World War II. And I used to love to just sit at his feet and listen to him tell stories and stuff. We'd watch old Westerns and he'd tell me war stories. And um, so for a moment, it's like I was sitting with my grandpa again to hear this yeah. guy talk. And, and it was just really cool to experience that really with this guy. Meaning. Well, uh, next I want to hear you talk to me about your belief in... Uh, the lies being told back and forth. But before you start that, 
We're going to go to a commercial break. And when we return, Jody Piles will give us his thoughts on the lies being told in the war on Ukraine by both the world press and the U.S. government. We'll be back in a moment. And now a word from our sponsors. Charles Powell spent two years of his life going undercover, gaining intel on ethnic organized crime, street gangs, and foreign state sponsors, all profiting from human trafficking. These investigations, combined with groundbreaking research provided by Dylan Burroughs, brought about their authoring the most essential book for those seeking a handle on human trafficking in the U.S. Not in My Town, exposing and ending human trafficking and modern-day slavery. Pulitzer Prize finalist Luis Urea writes, Charles Powell has been a strong presence in the Deep South for a long time. He has provided security and protection to celebrities and has advised me on security when I needed it. This book is about an issue that haunts America and the world, a vitally important topic. The subject matter is nothing short of pure evil and how we defeat it. Author Nate Larkin writes, Charles Powell has focused his investigative skills on a scourge too few of us knew existed. The scope of modern-day slavery is mind-boggling, its stories heartbreaking, and there's a good chance its victims are right in your own backyard. If you don't believe me, open this book and let Charles and Dylan take you on a tour of the seamy side of America. You'll never be the same. Join Charles Powell and Dylan Burroughs through big cities, small towns, and suburbs alike on a gripping journey that will shock and motivate readers to join the struggle for the soul of our nation, where every individual can respond to the question of slavery with a resounding, not in my town. And we're back. We're back with Jody Piles, who's telling us about his experiences last fall on three different battlefronts in the war on Ukraine. But before we get back to that, I would like to have you talk with us a little bit. You're there, you're your own man, you're not uh, speaking about anyone. You know, people talk a lot about how the Ukrainian government is at times, you know, faking, uh, faking up certain aspects of the war and the US government is doing the same. The Russians are telling lies and I believe, you know, readily believe that. There's a lot of uh, mistrust by people around the world for what they're, from what they're hearing. But there's nothing like speaking to someone who's actually been there. So take a, take a few minutes and talk with us a little bit about, you know, truths and lies. And, and uh, tell us both what you think. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk maybe about the Russian side of it in a minute. But right now, what do you think that the world press or maybe especially the U.S. press and the U.S. government are telling us, the Ukrainians, what are they telling us that might represent truth and what might represent lies? There's so much false information, um, and, and I've got people who are friends of mine who support the Russian side. I've got friends of mine who support the Ukrainian side, and both sides ask me, well, are you, you, you're, you're supporting Russia? I'm like, no. you supporting Ukraine then? No. Well, well, why are you going? Who are you supporting? I'm there to do a job to protect this gentleman. And while I was there, the people I supported were the people that were standing beside me. Yes. Um, it was like, I mean, that's what soldiers of every stripe say. Once you get there, uh, flag waving goes out the window. You're fighting for the person beside you. Right. Um, and but so to, to see the, the, the misinformation, like for example, a lot of people communicate through Telegram in that country in particular. And 
I, I still am on a couple different Telegram channels. That's and I, an app. Yeah, yeah. And and what's crazy is while I was there, and I did this on purpose, I downloaded one app or one Telegram channel that was strictly Russian side of information. The other one I downloaded was strictly Ukrainian. And you would a, a situation would hap, happen, and you would have both parties reporting, and to read the difference of you know their takes on it. Of, of, well, we did this and we destroyed these rebels and we did this and we destroyed these invaders and, you know, how they're both, it's propaganda on both sides, honestly. And okay. you, so who do you believe? Uh, okay, so talk a little bit about what might be the propaganda that uh, Ukraine is putting out to get and keep support. Uh, there's a lot of people in the United States that say we have our own problems we need to solve. Uh, uh, the press is overwhelmingly in the U.S. in favor of the war. Right. The United States government is. Uh, the people ask a lot of questions that don't really get answered. Um, you were there. What might be an example of truth and lie? Okay, so truth is there is a major need, and, and I wasn't on the Russian side, so I'm sure there's major need there too. Sure. I'm, not, I'm not discounting sure. that. But where I was standing, there was definitely major need. Um, the people, uh, the military, all of, all were, were lacking, you know, food, supplies. You know, we took gloves to one military unit because, I mean, just their hands, when you saw their hands, and there it was, it was coming into, it was, it was fall, but it was actually coming into a cold season it for was. them. And at night, it was pretty chilly. And to see these these soldiers' hands, you know, where they didn't have gloves, and you know, to see the need that that was there, and even talking to a friend of mine who's a lieutenant colonel who is still fighting there, to hear his stories, and and like I said, we continue to communicate back and forth now, and he he sends me photos and he lets me know about what's going on and needs, and to see that need, and then to hear in our news about all the money we're sending to support. And then when you're actually there, you're like, well, hold on, I thought they're sending this. The money never gets to yeah, them. I, I know because I myself have seen where these soldiers have put out pleas to get money for ammunition. Uniforms. And, and the, right, uh, cold weather gear. Yeah. When, when I see the firearms, and a lot of people don't know, they just see somebody with a firearm. A lot of the firearms that the Ukrainian soldiers are fighting with are like, I mean, just hoopty put together, you know, junkyard uh, right. pieces of crap. I mean, I, you know, I hate to put it that way, but that's, you know, the money that's being put out for this military gear is money for first-rate equipment right. like we use, and they just don't have it. So one of the guys that was there, he, he, he did some work with us, and he and I become friends. When I say friends, like he, he's a lieutenant colonel there. It, it was one of those things, guys who do things like this, you trade patches, right? Right. He took his, his rank off his uniform and gave it to me. Uh, so we were close. And in communicating with him how, how he's lacking, and he actually stepped up. He had already retired, and his wife was still in the military, but they were going to send her to the front line, wow. and they had two children. So he said, I will come back. He let my wife step out, and then he sent his wife and children actually to Israel. Good. And, uh, but it kind of locked him into sure. he's on the front line fighting now. And, but his need, he, he's like, I don't have uniforms. You know, we don't, our, my unit don't even have a truck. Wow. And and I'm like and I asked him I'm like well what about all the money the U S and he, he laughed about it. he's what what money we're not getting this money where's this money going and but you're not going to hear the Ukrainian people talk negatively about their country 
or say, well, someone's someone's taking this money before it gets here. You're not going. They're not going to say. They're going to fight to the death. They're going to fight to the death. I mean, uh, one for example, I even asked a question riding in a uh, vehicle. I asked one of the guys who was there. I said, so what's all this about? You know bioweapons and, you know, these bio labs, you know, what, what's the truth to this? Because I didn't know. And uh, you would have thought that I spit in his mother's face. Okay. Like he turns around and goes off on me. That's the lie that's being told by the Russians. It's all propaganda. And I'm like, look, man, I'm just asking questions, you know. I'm trying to learn. I, I'm trying to learn. And, yeah. and I got like completely told off about that. And I was like, okay, forget it. I just, you know, but, you know, so you hear it on both sides. Yeah. So what's the truth? I'll be honest, I don't know. I, I know what I saw with my own eyes. Do I think one's at fault more than the other? I can't answer that because I don't know the roots and how deep it goes. I know this. If I lived there and I was a Ukrainian, I would be fighting for Ukraine. Sure. Because that's, that's your home. If I was in Russia and I was a Russian, I don't know. You know, it... it, it who, who determines what we're, who's right and who's wrong? I, I think after so many years under authoritarian rule, uh, I think Eastern Europeans better know how to separate the difference between their country and their government. Right. And that is something that folk, people in the United States are just coming to terms with. Uh, these days you hear a lot of people say, I, I love my country, but I don't necessarily love or trust my government. Right. And I think Eastern Europeans already have a handle on this. And this is why they can be patriotic for their country and not necessarily their government. And I think that's kind of what you're speaking about. It, it reminds me of uh, a gentleman walks up to Abraham Lincoln and said, Sir, you know, whose side do you feel God's on? Is he on our side or is he on the side of the rebels? And Abraham Lincoln said, It's not my concern as to whether or not, you know, God's on our side, but whether or not we're on God's side. Wow. And um, I think that's what we stop and we fail to, you know, as a believer, you know, who's right in that situation? Probably none of them. But what's right is standing next to the person and making sure that their needs are met, making sure that the hungry's fed. You know, to me, you know, if someone says, well, what side of the wars would God be on? He's on both sides. Mm. He's on both sides. Ever present. Because there's souls on both sides. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned a few minutes ago about this uh, this friends you made in the Ukrainian military. Take a minute and just name a few friends you met and a few people that touched you while you were there. Well, obviously there was the, the elderly gentleman. I'm not going to name anybody's names. But, of course. Um, you know, he was, he probably touched my heart more than anybody. Um, and being able to, like I said, spend his birthday with him. And when I walked in, it was funny. He grabbed me by the shoulders and he looks at me and, and I didn't understand a word he was saying. Of course, I, we, I walk in this guy's house and this old man just grabs me by the shoulders and he, he sounds very rough. And the, the guy who was with us, it was actually his son-in-law and, uh, or I'm sorry, his, his wife's grandfather is who this man mm -hmm. was. And um, he, he, says, he says that he has familiarity in your eyes. Like, okay, I don't know what that means, but all right. But, but he, and I sit down and he pulls me up beside him. And it's like I said, he was just like, like he, he wanted to connect. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, uh, so he was one, um, the, the gentleman we were with, he, he has a, um, basically an outreach that he goes back and forth. He, he goes into the West and he supplies up, loads up vans with supplies and stuff. And then he drives it back and forth to different. And that's how we got connected there. Um, and then there was the lieutenant colonel. We stayed in his house over in Kharkiv, and uh, with, um, and he's on the front lines now. After he's sent his wife out, we were there right before he sent his wife out to Israel. 
I made another friend up in Kiev who um, uh, she has a campus ministry oh. up there. So she, it's kind of like Campus Crusade for Christ. Right, right. But it's, it's, their, um, it's their version of it. And um, so they and her brother actually, from, from what I'm seeing, we're friends on Facebook, from what I'm seeing, her brother's missing right now. Oh. He, he's a soldier. So made a few friends. Um, That's good. Well, you know, those, that's, it's one thing to pray for a country. It's another thing to pray for friends. That's right. And be concerned about them. Okay, so, um, you know, you, you can't just go on three different battlefronts and bring humanitarian aid supplies to people. You can't just go there and then come home like everybody else. You had to get hurt. So uh, you wound up with a piece of shrapnel in your eyelid. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that. I mean, was it an artillery shell blast? Was it a missile blast? How did it happen? What did you do? You know, I, I, you've told that story to me before, but I'd like these people to know. So here's what's funny. I, I got sponsored by ESS Glasses, phenomenal glasses company. Uh, so I guess this is a shameless plug for them. But um, they're all ballistic rated and love them to death. But there was, when you're over in, and this was in the Kharkiv region, actually a little bit further, we were, we were right on the front lines. And I mean, the buildings were, that was the, the town that was completely gone. We spent yes. the night with, with the elderly couple. The building we were in was hit. Um, and I woke up, I thought, you know, there's all the dust and particles flying yep. when, when stuff goes on. I thought that I just had like dust in my eye. And I, so I kind of went through the day kind of thinking, oh, man, it's, it's not a big deal. It's just dust in my eye and kind of rubbed it. And then my eyes started getting really red. So when I got back and, of course, it was about three or four days before we got back to the, you know, my uh, apartment yep. in the West. And so I went to a and you could buy some antibiotic eye drops. Right. So I went and got some eye drops for it and started doing that. And by the time I got home, it was feeling a little better. But it, the outside, it started swelling up. And at first, I thought it was like an, a style of my eye. Uh -huh. like, you could and, feel uh, it. I, yeah, you could feel it on the outside of my eyelid. And so one of my martial arts students, dad is a doctor. And then I had a, another student. His mom is a nurse. So they started looking at it and feeling it. And they're like, there's something in there. So they actually had to come down and do a, a video shoot for, for That's right. a, a particular company. And so I didn't want to do anything to mess my eye up. and have to have like a patch. So I was, I was like, what can I do quickly? And uh, so we just stuck needles in it and drew the fluid off of it uh, three times to draw the fluid off this. And to come to find out there's a little metal, and I've never had it taken out still, it's, but it's not giving me an issue. But a little metal, basically a, a shard of metal. Yeah, a little splinter up in my eye. Shrapnel. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you guess, weren't wearing the glasses at the time, I take it. Well, I was, but the thing is, it protects this way. It doesn't protect if you turn your head and it blows in this okay, way. Okay, so, so explosion goes off, you turn your head in a reaction, and it comes in the it's side. It's dust, all kinds of it's junk right just floating around. Oh, wow. Well, I'm, I'm, you, you need to get that taken out eventually, you know. I might get a, just like a really cool patch or something. Okay, you, may, you always want it to be a pirate. That's right. That's very good. Any any personal takeaways you might share from your trip there? Any anything, anything else? Uh, and and if no personal takeaways you haven't shared, is it the kind of place you might return to ever again? Well, my buddy who's who's in the military there, he's asked me to come back numerous times, uh, and he he told me, so you come back, you can you know you fight with us, and um, I, that's an honor. Yeah, it is for for somebody like that to ask you to come back and do that. Um, would I go back? I'm not going to say never because. A year ago, I said, 
I actually had somebody call me a year ago and say, hey, would you want to go? And I said, no, nope, it's not my fight, not my war. Yeah, I remember. You know, I stay here, you know. And, I don't uh, think that guy ever went either. No. And um, so, but I ended up going when I saw that the need was there. And so to say I would never go again, I won't say that. Do I want to go? I didn't, no, not interested. But at the same time, I'm not going to lie, there are times when I'm sitting on my front porch in the rocking chair and I think, you know, I kind of would like to be there with, you know, my buddy and, you know, you know. What, what is it in a man or woman that makes them in that moment when they feel that way, feel drawn or feel a need or want to go somewhere? I can't speak for others, but for me, I think it's a sense of purpose. Um, we live in such a, a selfish and a, a spoiled society that the things that go on here, it's just crazy that what people argue about and how we're so divided in so many areas. And at least when you're there, there's a need, there's an objective, there's a mission, and you got something to work towards. You know, here it's like, what am I doing? You know, what am I really accomplishing? You know, I've tried my hand in a number of things, you know, po even politics to try to make a difference here. And at the end of the day, what are you really accomplishing? At least there you can know, it's, it's like the, uh, the starfish story. Yep. You know, the kid is throwing starfish and the guy says, but there's so many, what's it matter? And he says, what well, matters to this one as he throws it back? You know, there's, there's so much going on. Well, what's it matter? What matters to the one you're sitting beside? That's it right. matters to help this person. Absolutely. Uh, the difference, uh, the difference is um, calling, and uh, some people call that destiny. I would say we probably, it's a calling. It's a calling on one's life to make a difference and be a difference when other men and women stay seated in safety with their hands folded. Right. And you and I have both answered that call many times. And right now I hear the music playing and that means our time has come to an end. Thank you very much for being on this, the Dangerous Skills Podcast. Please tune in again next time. We'll be having Jody back again to hear about his human trafficking rescues in Pakistan and a great many other places. And we'll see you then. This has been the Dangerous Skills Podcast. End transmission.